0: Welcome to the Resources for Integrated Care webinar, Safe and Effective Use of Medications in Older Adults. This podcast is excerpted from a webinar presented live on April 18, 2018. In this podcast, Todd Semla, Associate Professor at Feinberg School of Medicine at Northwestern University, provides an overview of prescribing medications for older adults.
1: Good morning or good afternoon, everyone, depending on uh, where you are. Um, Could we please have the next slide? So these are my disclosures. Um, I will only vocalize one, and that that is that the views of uh, the presentation are my own and do not necessarily reflect those of the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs or the U.S. government. Next slide, please. Uh, next slide. Okay. Um, I think we skipped one. We need to go back one. There we go. Thank you very much. So um, we're concerned about um, patients who are dual eligible for Medicare and Medicaid. They ac- account uh, for about uh, having about 25% higher rate of chronic conditions than benefit. Beneficiaries who are not duly eligible. Uh, they also tend to use a variety of medications and have a higher Medicare Part D prescription drug cost than Medicare-only uh, beneficiaries. So this is a, a particularly important group to to focus on and talk about. The so next slide, please. And this shows how many of the ways that they dual eligibles are different from uh, non-dual eligible Medicare beneficiaries. They tend to have twice or, or higher the rate of being cognitively or mentally impaired. They have three or more chronic conditions more often. They tend to rate their self as being in fair or poor health more commonly. They require more assistance with one or more activities of daily living, and they're also more likely to be a resident of a long-term care facility. So, uh, Next slide, please. I like to show this slide because it shows the trend that we've had in the United States Uh, in looking at medication use, particularly prescription drug use, by persons over the 65 years and older. And if we go back to 1968, you'll see that approximately about 25 percent of the population was 65 years of of age and older, and they purchased around 10 percent of all the prescription drugs sold each year. If we move ahead to 1981, we see that the U.S. population was about 31 percent Senior, and they accounted for around 12% of prescription drugs sold. And if we fast forward to 2040, uh, it's anticipated that the U.S. population will be somewhere around 50% uh, 65 and older, but they will um, purchase, uh, excuse me, will be about uh, 25%, but they will purchase around uh, 50% of all uh, prescription medications. So as the population ages, so does their current, uh, percentage of prescription drugs purchased in the U.S. Uh, next slide, please. There are um, a number of factors that influence medication use. There are individual characteristics, who we are for a man or a woman. Women tend to use more pres- medications than men. They're better at going to the doctor uh, and seeking help uh, than men who tend to be more stoic. There are also physiologic changes that that separate us from one another, such as how our kidneys function and drugs we would need to avoid or not use, so that can affect which medications we get. The disease states we have, as we've already noted, the number of chronic conditions goes up as we increase with age. Uh, Those will also dictate an increase in use of medications. Um, And then there are sole conditions that require treatment oftentimes with one or more medications diabetes, hypertension, and heart failure, all could be managed with one, two, three, or even four medications, depending on the severity and the goals of trying to treat. There are psychosocial attributes, and particularly in in the U.S., we have this um, philosophy of a pill for every ill. Uh, We tend less likely to want to go to psychotherapy, for example, for depression and anxiety. We would rather take a medication for that. Physicians also influence a great deal of the medications that are used in the United States or prescribed to individual patients. And in fact, physician-to-physician communication is the number one influence. It's not the drug company representative. They're number two, but it's actually the peer-to-peer contact that physicians have. Um, Advertising is also something that is extremely important in terms of how how we're influenced by which medications we take. this often um, has has increased greatly since the direct-to-consumer advertising has uh, has taken place in the U.S. in the past 15 or 20 years, and in fact, the pharmaceutical industry has shifted its resources more towards uh, direct-to-consumer advertising and less to uh, actual salespersons out in the uh, hospitals and uh, doctors' offices. So, next slide. Okay, you can you can advance it. There we go. So this is a, a, example, a couple of examples of what we call prescribing cascades, which is something that we teach uh, physicians, pharmacists, nurses, anyone working with, with older adults and their medication to be on the lookout for. Um, and it's often referred to as starting one drug to treat the side effects of another drug. This is a form of polypharmacy. So you could say that you had an older gentleman who um, has experienced some back pain, doing some work around the house, and he has, uh, pulls a muscle. So he starts to take over-the-counter or uh, ibuprofen, Motrin. Um, now, Motrin has a, has a renal effects, kidney effects in older adults, and it can result in an increase in blood pressure, on average, about five millimeters of mercury systolic blood pressure per person. So they, they're taking this, and they see their physician, and who's kind of been watching their blood pressure because they're concerned that they may become hypertensive, and they notice that they are, in fact, hypertensive, and they prescribe them an antihypertensive amlodipine. Now, amlodipine has a side effect that will cause lower extremity edema, and that's also noted the next time the person comes back because they say, look, doc, my blood pressure is better, but my legs are all swollen. So they give him a diuretic, furosemide, which gives the, the gentleman urinary frequency, and he has an, uh, an enlarged prostate but it had been manageable, but now he's given a medication to treat his enlarged prostate, So um, instead of perhaps being on no medications if he had gotten uh, limited treatment or something else besides ibuprofen, then he's now on, on three different medications, and even if he stops the ibuprofen, it's unlikely the other two would be or three would be stopped. So that's what we call a prescribing cascade. Another example that we're always concerned about is a patient who's taking medications that have anticholinergic effects. We'll talk a lot about this later in the presentation. But these medications can cause cognitive impairment or delirium, and this could be misdiagnosed as someone having dementia or and result in prescribing an anti-dementia medication, such as donepezil, which is a cholinesterase inhibitor. So, again, a patient's on one medication, and it leads to a side effect, and they get another medication, uh, and it's likely to be a chronic medication. Next slide, please. What are the consequences of inappropriate use of, of medication by older adults other than leading to more medications, as we've, sh- as we've shown? Well, it's been noted that um, this increases the likelihood of death, mortality, morbidity, such as hospitalization or seeing more office visits, perhaps falls and fractures. Uh, if the medication is inappropriate, it results to that, and other adverse drug events, such as delirium, as, as I've mentioned. It increases healthcare costs and utilization because of of these events need to be treated. There's also an increasing use in the oldest and most vulnerable adults that we see inappropriate medications uh, being uh, prescribed. And one of the concerns is that the more medications you are on, the more likely you are to be on one of these medications we consider to be inappropriate. Uh, So that's that's always a red flag looking at the number of medications the patient's on and, and trying to see if any of them are inappropriate. And, and even though medication, inappropriate medication use is highly common, it is preventable uh, with rigorous uh, monitoring of the patient's regimen and determining what, in fact, they, they need. Uh, next slide, please. Um, the latest statistics we have on inappropriate prescribing in the community is about 41% of elderly are, uh, that live in the community are prescribed at least one inappropriate medication using the 2012 Uh, beer's criteria. And NSAIDs, uh, non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs like Motrin or Ibuprofen I I mentioned earlier, accounted for 10% of of this inappropriate use. And then benzodiazepines, which would be drugs like Valium, uh, accounted for another 9%. Next slide, please. Drug-drug interactions are also things we're particularly concerned about. And I'm gonna point out to um, a couple of them that appear in the most recent version of the AGS-Beers criteria. Um, And the first is that the use of three or more drugs with central nervous system effects. So this is sort of referring to CNS polypharmacy, and it could include medications such as the antidepressants, the SSRIs, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, such as um, uh, Prozac and Paxil or Zoloft, Alexa, the, uh, uh, a tricyclic antidepressant, some of the older antidepressants, the use of an antipsychotic, benzodiazepines, and then what we call the Z-drugs, which tend to be um, other uh, non-benzodiazepine medications used for treatment of insomnia, Um are, are examples. and then also a, co- a combination with opioids. So any combination of any three of these uh, are a concern, that because it increases the risk for falls in, in older adults. Um, in many of these drugs, even by themselves, are linked with falls, but combining them with two or more um, other CNS active agents further increases that risk for falls. And then multiple. Prescribing a multiple drugs with anticholinergic activity, and this leads to increased risk for impaired cognition or delirium, as I discussed in the other um, examples. So we'll talk, of, show you a list here on the next slide, please, of um, medications that have anticholinergic activity, and this is something that I, uh, I point out because these medications are available over the counter. A lot of the anticholinergic times the anticholinergic effect is not the intended benefit of the medication but it's a side a side effect so it's kind of hidden in a lot of these medications so for example the drug meclizine which is antivert which is sold over the counter to treat vertigo or as an antiemetic um many of our antispasmodics that are used to treat urinary incontinence such as oxybutynin uh is is another example these medications are found in both prescription and non-prescription over the counter um uh, cold and allergy drugs, such as hydroxyzine and diphenhydramine is Benadryl, which is also found in sleep aids. And then skeletal muscle relaxants and some of our tricyclic antidepressants are also strongly anticholinergic. So it's a wide variety of types of medications that have this effect, um, and they can be rather insidious and creep up on people and put them at, at risk for cognitive changes that people don't often attribute to the medication. So uh, next slide, please. Um, So older adults are vulnerable to these because they have a high probability of exposure, they have greater sensitivity due to some of the physiologic changes, and if they have pre-existing cognitive impairment, they're at much greater risk for further worsening of that or uh, even delirium. Next slide. Well, what can be done? Well, we've tried some regulatory mandates, particularly OBRA-87, which goes back to nursing home regulations which uh, really tried to disallow the use of antipsychotics and some other medications to treat some of the behaviors in patients with dementia that they were shown to be harmful and really not beneficial. Um, those uh, regulations have been revised, but they still are still there in different format. The AGS-BEERS criteria I've mentioned several times, and this is something that's used by CMS and insurers to reduce inappropriate prescribing, often uh, tr- uh, initiating a prior authorization if you want to use one of these medications in a patient over 65. Uh, medication reconciliation is another thing that's mandated by JCO. It's very useful in transitions of care. Drug regimen v- review and cross-check, looking at patients' medication list, having them show you everything that they have in their house, uh, having a, either in person or by a list of medications, and cross-checking that with what they're supposed to be taking in the chart. And then another useful item that can be helpful is to actually chart out all the medications and all the different times a day the person has to, to take their medications, showing it to their providers, because oftentimes these regimens can be simplified by reducing medications, uh, and, and that can be very helpful. Next slide. So, a little more about the AGS-Beers criteria, it's a free resource. You can find it at the web link at the bottom of the page, geriatricscareonline.org. There's a lot of information on that, those pages, such as how to use the, the criteria, what they actually mean. There's an alternative medication list if for some of the BEERS medications. There's a pocket card, um, an app. And then there's also public education resources that you can uh, in- give to patients or their caregivers for things that they should know about medications, uh, keeping a medication diary, tips for medication safety, and, and other things that they should be o- aware of. So there's a very valuable uh, resource for them at geriatricscareonline.org. Next slide. Another uh, criteria that was developed in Ireland and is used in Europe, but it's made its way into the United States that some people like are the stop-start criteria. They're very similar to BEERS in terms of the medications that should be stopped or avoided, um, as we say with the BEERS criteria. But they also have medications that should be started. In other words, they reflect the under-prescribed medications that are often uh, not given to older adults uh, because of concerns or oversight. So it's a very complementary list to the Beers criteria. Uh, Next uh, slide, please. Deprescribing is something else that's very helpful. Uh, It's a big buzzword right now in targeting medications that don't have an, an indication are no longer needed, they're not working, that are duplicate, or are not being taken or adhered to. So, next slide, please. Um, and these are events where de-prescribing could be triggered, care transitions, annual review of medications before a new one is started, before if there's a new problem that, that's, that's cited as a drug-related problem as opposed to uh, something else. Uh, and it's very important when you're at deprescribing to educate Uh, patients and their caregivers about what's going on so they have instructions. They know to monitor. They don't freak out if they have a withdrawal phenomenon or their condition is exacerbated. So what to expect. Next slide, please. Uh, These are medications that are prime for um, deprescribing. Many of these are on the beers list we've talked about. Others are medications who you have to look at what the patient's goals are, perhaps as they get later on in life, their goals in terms of what they want, uh, and the benefit of the medication may have diminished, or their disease has advanced and the medication is no longer really being helpful. Uh, so those things should be, um, th- these are examples of those medications. Next, next slide, please. So as I said, def- the deprescribing.org, it's out of uh, the University of uh, Toronto, I believe and there it's all free resources there's wonderful algorithms for providers and there's also brochures and things for individuals to to get more involved okay next slide and then screening and medication review is something that should be done regularly at least annually uh when starting a new medication or changing a dose you could do it more often but to do a medication review, and this is often done in collaboration or by the pharmacist, uh, to look for drug-drug interactions, identify all the medications the patient's taking, and any, any um, medication problems that the patient's having, such as adherence. Next slide. And this is a summary slide that shows how deep prescribing adverse events and drugs to avoid all kind of overlap, it, it, this is all kind of a continuum in my mind, you see the same things popping up over and over again, so these are the things we really want to be focusing on and these are the tools and ways we can we can focus on them. Okay, next slide. And then finally, the seven features of unnecessary excessive drug use that I like people to kind of walk around with in their head. There's no apparent indication for the medication, it's gotta be questioned. If it's a duplicate medication, has the same effects as another medication, why are they both on, being used? Does it interact with other medications which may decrease their effectiveness or enhance a side effect that's, that's dangerous to the patient? Is the medication really contraindicated to that person? Is the dosage inappropriate, too low, too high? Is it one drug to treat the adverse effects of another drug? And if you stop this medication, is there likely to be improvement following discontinuation? That's a really good sign that the medication probably is being harmful and not helpful. And then the last slide, please. I always like to close with this quote from 1990 from a mentor of mine, Ron Stewart, who said the trend of multiple drug use by elderly people will likely increase in the future as a result of an increasing burden of chronic disease and success of researchers who develop new drugs. He is very correct. I could reissue this statement in 2018, and it would be correct in another 30 years, I'm afraid.
0: Thank you for listening. This podcast is presented by the Loon Group and is supported through the Medicare-Medicaid Coordination Office at the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. MMCO is dedicated to helping beneficiaries enrolled in Medicare and Medicaid have access to seamless, high-quality health care that includes the full range of covered services in both programs. To support providers in their efforts to deliver more integrated, coordinated care, MMCO is developing technical assistance and actionable tools based on successful innovations in care models. To learn more about our current efforts and resources, please visit our website or follow us on Twitter for more details. Our Twitter handle is at integrate underscore care.